This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. This is hour two coming up at the bottom of it. Elliot Friedman, the returning Freed from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. In the meantime, that music tells us it's time for our man from ESPN, co-host of The Drop, and you read him at ESPN.com. He's the one and only Greg Wyshynski. Hello, Wish. So I was thinking about writing an essay about this for the Puck Soup Patreon, but I ran out of time. Okay. So I'm just going to, I'm going to present you with the idea here and you can tell me how you feel about it. Um, There's a new, there's a new Godzilla show on uh, Apple TV plus that Mm -hmm. shows us what life is like in a world in which Kaiju or large monsters are, are constantly marauding through uh, countries and cities. And so there's like this is a Godzilla. Yeah, it's like Godzilla. There's so like there's like a Godzilla escape plans. Like you would have a hurricane evacuation route. Like they've got signs up oh, with a okay. picture of Godzilla telling you where to go if Godzilla attacks. So my question to you, how would the existence of Godzilla affect professional sports? Which. <laughs> Would they have to? Would they have to put a cushion into the schedule, like they did during COVID, in case Godzilla attacks the city and they're unable to play a game or two there? Would they have in the arena pictures of a Godzilla and what to do if Godzilla was to maraud the city during the playing of a, of a an NFL game or an NHL game? Like, would would sports be different? Also, conversely, would we be more careful about naming our teams after monsters? If Godzilla existed, would we have a different view of d- words like destruction and annihilation and a, being a wrecking crew? There's a lot of things that could change in sports if Godzilla was real, Jeff Merrick. Unless we wanted to curry favor with that, with said monster. Um, I would just like to read. Oh, it, it would be glorious for a number of reasons. Um, one of which would be I'd love to read the um, the record book and see the <laughs> asterisk beside it and then the explanation, Godzilla season. <laughs> you know, there's like 94, 95, lockout shortened season. Right, <laughs> and right, And then there's right. Godzilla season. Right, twenty. Yeah, he only got twenty three pl- points that year, but that, but that, that was that was the Godzilla season. So that's like yeah, exactly. that's a, that's a mulligan. That one's a write off. Yeah, we like don't we don't count that hockey, in arbitration. When you look on Hockey Reference and you see that a team lost in the qualification round, you're like, what was the qualification round? You're like, all right, when they had twenty four teams in the playoffs because of COVID, there'd be the Godzilla playoff season where we would just expand the field. Like we we had we had to cut short the season because Godzilla started attacking, but we've made up for it with a summertime Dude. tournament. You know, I was um, I was talking to Pete Weber yesterday, and a few of the things that I was thinking of with Pete, and I didn't get a chance to, to get to this story, but um, and it's a little bit macabre. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll go with it. So uh, we, Pete and I were talking because he did Preds game number two thousand. So we're walking down, you know, some of the uh, the, the glory times with Pete, whether it's in Nashville, whether it's in Buffalo, and whether it's in Los Angeles. And we were telling the story about 1977 where it looked like Rogi Vashon had been credited with the first goalie goal ever in the NHL. Mm. And right away, Jack Kent Cook had the media guy go into cell mode. Hey, everyone, buy your program. Historic night. Everyone go home with a... Like, trying to get as much, Mike. <laughs> turn everyone upside down and shake all the money out of them from this historic night, even though they knew 
the goal was going to be overturned and given to Vic Vanaski, and it was. Nonetheless, it didn't stop them from going into carny mode and grabbing everyone's cash. But the other thing that, um, and I didn't get into this with Pete yesterday, but I, I but I wanted to. Um, teams are not allowed to. This is back when you know uh, teams flew charter. Uh, teams were never allowed to fly together. Like you couldn't have the Detroit Red Wings and the Chicago Blackhawks on the same flight for fear if the flight went down that both teams would perish and they'd lose oh. two NHL clubs. And I wow. think it, it only happened once. And I can't remember the circumstances, but Pete would know it because he was with the Kings then. There, was, How did I get on this topic? Oh, you're talking about Godzilla tragedies. And so there was one. It was the Rangers and the Los Angeles Kings. I want to say it was a playoff series, too. And I remember talking to Pete about it years and years ago. I asked him, he goes, yeah, that was a, that was a, a really weird flight. But in the sort of pantheon of, of macabre things to happen, I like how you go like absolutely ridiculous with it and the Godzilla shortened <laughs> season. And right away, my brain goes to goes two teams to, riding on the same plane. Two teams riding on the doesn't, same plane, yeah. That, yeah. You know, if they were allowed to share charters now, honestly, I'm not in favor of it because, listen, we've talked about this before, how hockey's changed and how the – the sense of what a rivalry nothing ha- would happen. is has changed. Nothing no, would no, no, nothing happen. would. Ha- no, that's my nothing point. Nothing would happen. These guys it, are all too cozy anyway. These guys are too cozy. It would be like, a players' association meeting. It would. Be, it would yeah, be a PA was, meeting, like thousands of miles in the sky. Is all that would be. Look, I don't want to. I don't need to see photos of Kevin Fiala and Mark Stone sharing a beer on a charter flight. Like in in my kayfabe world, <laughs> those two teams should hate each other. Like it'd be, it'd be, it so, would just make it all too. They all share off-season coaches. They all go to the same lake houses together. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't like the fact that these yeah. guys coexist outside my my predetermined hockey bubble of all rivalries being real. So. Tickets go on sale for the All-Star Weekend on Tuesday here in Toronto. And so I've been looking back at some, you know, old All-Star stories. Um, and, you know, one of my favorite ones is 1947, which is the real first All-Star game. There were fundraising games before. And, you know, we all know about, you know, Ace, Ace Bailey and Eddie, Eddie Shore. And that's the one that sort of kicked off. But that was a, that was a charity game. Like mm-hmm. there was a charity game for Howie Morenz as well to try to raise money for his family. But the first actual All-Star game was 1947. It was a... Stanley Cup champion Maple Leafs against the team that Dick Irvin put together. And he had the Kraut line. He had the Pony line with the Bentleys and Bill Mozienko as well. Like a really stacked team. And he also had Rocket Richard and Ted Lindsay on the team who refused to acknowledge each other on the ice, in the room, on the bench. Like the hatred was seething between that Detroit Red Wing and that Montreal Canadian, but they were there to beat the Maple Leafs, so they briefly plugged their noses and united in this all-star effort, which began actually uh, began the the NHL uh, Players Pension Fund. Um, but they put those things aside, but still refused to acknowledge, talk to, or even look at each other in the dressing room. Wish so. First of all, that's that's a lovely story, and uh, hmm. and and animosity is something that we we greatly lack in hockey today. But I, your all-star thing made me think of this current all-star format that we're about to en- enter into. And I've so Kristen Shilton was on the drop the other day and talked about how they're going to get around the who is last picked thing in this player draft that they're bringing back for the all-star game by having like a final four group of players 
and then a celebrity is going to put them basically assign them to the four teams right so there's not going to be like a last pick necessarily uh Boring. i i don't know i don't well hold on i don't know any of the celebrities that are involved with this thing other than undoubtedly it'll be justin bieber as one of the co-captains but it got me thinking mm. about this imagine if you will there's four players left they're all in their little folding chairs they're the last players available for these four teams and we're going to have a celebrity come out and we're going to have uh, this person assign the players to these four teams, the four last pick players. We're in Toronto. It's about the last pick player in the draft. Is there any way that yeah. celebrity can't be Phil Kessel? It's funny because I got a tweet. I was just about to mention that, Jay. I got a tweet about that this week about you know the all-star format and the selection and having someone like William Nylander and Phil Kessel come out and say that they were late because there was a holdup on the TTC and both <laughs> Phil Kessel and William Nylander come out and Kessel is actually the last pick. Nylander just just you know just just misses getting drafted because he wasn't there and that's the way you get that's the way you get around hurting people's feelings. Go again go back to Rocket Richard and Ted Lindsay, and then take us up to 2023 when we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings I, it, by it, being Just Imagine the it's going to be sold out because it's going to be all the people that can't get tickets for the next two days going to this thing on Thursday. And yeah. like imagine Phil Kessel coming out to a roaring ovation of the Toronto faithful and assigning awesome. the last four it. picks in the draft. It would be incredible, an incredible moment. I I don't disagree with you at all. Anything involving NHL All-Star Draft and Phil Kessel, to me, has to be an automatic. And every year that they do it, um, I think that Phil Kessel should be involved in some capacity. Of all the guys, speaking you of Phil Kessel... Yeah, of all ahead. the guys that are on the outside uh, that are on, that are on the outside now, because Patrick Kane has been signed uh, by the Detroit Red Wings, but of all the players that are on the outside right now... Is anyone else getting signed? That's a good question. So Kane's off the board. Let me go over this. So, uh, we, so we, we, Cap we, Friendly just put out friendly friendly put out a list the other day. Let me let me yeah find, we, we so for a second. I have, I have it here. So it's we don't know what's going on with Taves. You have Josh Bailey. Uh, you have Pulleyarvi. You have John Moore. Uh, you have Halak. I guess it would have Ethan to be Bears a goalie, right? Yeah, Ethan Bear is going to get signed. Like I, I imagine it's going to be like a goalie that's probably out there that undoubtedly will will be signed because someone, you know, like like someone will dip into the Aaron Dell uh, pool to go find somebody to help out. Mike Michael Hutchinson. Like these are the guys that end up getting signed roundabouts like February or March when some two goalies get hurt, and all of a sudden it's Michael Hutchinson time for like four games. So I would say the goalies are probably top of the hmm. list for me. You know who I wonder about, you know, too, a, oh, is Wayne Simmons. Wayne Simmons. And the here's why. Yeah. Because it's a rougher NHL this year. It's like it every is. night there's throwdowns in the NHL. Don't know what it is. We saw it to kick off the season. We thought, okay, well, that's interesting, but that's just the first couple of weeks. This will calm down. I don't think it's calm down, Wish. F- fighting has been, I, I wonder think, about Wayne Simmons. on an uptick the last two seasons, if, if I remember the stats from... Hockeyfights.com correctly. But it's this run year's a little been bit of an uptick. real uptick. Yeah. 
this one's been a, re- a real uptick. And it's not just that Florida Ottawa game from the other night. Like it's been, it's been significant. Oh, by the way, what did you make of what did you make of all that? What did you make of Garrett Rank throwing everybody out? Uh, when I, uh, whenever I see a quirky referee thing, you're one of the first few people I think of, and and <laughs> that that uh, made thanks. me so happy. That made me so happy. Just like a, yep. a, the the blanket banning of everyone on the ice is just such a great moment. Like it's such a great, unique, wonderful moment, and and really does. You know, I'm a writer. I enjoy the economy of words, right? And to not have to list all the names and numbers and just get cut right to the chase. It was perfect. It was so good. Yeah. The only thing that I, the, the only thing that I thought of with that was if you're the two goaltenders, are you like does that include me? Like Corpusal is like am I go- am I gone too? Like do I have to do 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 I have to like yeah, cuz here like they are they He said everybody with, on the me? ice. He didn't specify skaters. Every- he said everybody on the ice. Yeah. Right, cuz all of a sudden, like, okay, I'm Anthony Stolar. So I'm like, all right, I'm going in to clean up this one. I know against, I'm planning against the Maple Leafs the next night, but I'm going to go clean up this game against Ottawa. How come yeah. the goalies didn't God, serve Garrett Rank? You call God everybody. forbid the ice crews out there working on, on the snow. Like, they're now they're looking around. What what did I do? I'm just trying to fill in these divots. What did I do? I just cleaning some stuff. Get bunt. Get lost. See ya. That's like uh, Homer Simpson <laughs> making cuts. Yeah, you're cut. Yeah, you're cut. You too. Okay. Are you over here? Yeah, you're cut. <laughs> <laughs> ah, funny games, funny games, funny. What did you make of uh, Kachuk v Kachuk? I mean, I, I was trying to figure out. Hang on, let me let me much... let me ask you the re- hang on. Let me ask you the re- let me ask you the real Please. question. Let me ask you the real question because we're yeah. all dancing around it, right? And we all enjoyed the cutaways to Grandma Kachuk, who was horrified at what was going on, and the cutaways were brilliant. And she was the first star. Grandma Kachuk was the best. But here's the question. As distasteful as this may feel to some, there is precedent for it, whether it's the primos, whether mm-hmm. it's the plaguers. Mm-hmm. Given how these two play, <laughs> given how there's no love lost between the Panthers and the Ottawa Senators, not just this time around, but last season as well. Yeah. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but do these two guys have to fight somewhere down the road? Probably, they probably do, and I think why it feels not? That way, right? You know, like one of the really, things we, we don't we like no one wants to no one wants to address the question here. But given how they both play, one of the things that um, has become apparent to me with when in covering both the Kachucks and more specifically the Hughes brothers is how much personal competition between siblings has created all of these hockey stars. Like the Hughes brothers made literally everything in life, like who can throw the tissue in the waste paper basket kind of stuff into yes, a that is blood boiling competition. True. Right. And so the idea true. that there is going to end up being a fight between uh, Matthew and, and Brady or between Jack and Quinn one day, which I would not take off the table uh is is probably born <laughs> from that very thing and and it shouldn't be surprising i know that we're all you know uh, it's you know once again we'll just bring it back to wrestling merrick you know back in the day vince mcmahon yeah. never wanted to book a feud between owen hart and bret hart because in vince's world brothers don't fight brothers well when you've grown up being hyper competitive against your siblings yeah. 
brothers will fight brothers. And yeah. while I believe the Kachucks would probably happen well before the Hugheses, I'm not uh, I'm not denying mm. that either could happen in, uh, in 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 the NHL. I just wonder how many Ottawa Senators players are coming up to Brady after that game, saying like, "Dude, what's with your brother?" Like at the end of that second think period, it, where he's just openly going, he's just openly going at Corpusalo. Hold, <laughs> like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Do you think? Do you think at this point there's what? any mystery about Matthew Kachuk and and why he is like he is? I mean, no. We, we got to remember that before no, we got to still. the the the, the Chucky parade of of uh, offenses in the playoffs last year. I mean, there was a time when hockey's greatest rivalry was Drew Doughty and Matthew Kachuk. Remember that? Like, like those two absolutely well, hated each other. And it was our first our first glimpse at at the kind of megalomaniacal uh, uh, troll that uh, that Kachuk would become on the ice was those battles with Doughty. Mm-hmm. And Zach Cassian. It was the two. That's, that's right. right. He would drive Zach Cassian. Zach Cassian would chase the... them all over the ice. Oh my God! Right? It was like Ed, Eddie Shack and the St. Louis Blues <laughs> chasing them all over the ice. But you're right. It was Doughty, it was Doughty and, and Zach Cassian. Look, I don't, I don't think we, we we know we can't have a league of all of that. But I'm just happy that we're you know we're in an NHL world where there's still at least some of that. And you know what? We're in, a, in an NHL world right now where people like Chris Tanev are still putting their face in front of slap shots. Right. Did the did the series between the Oilers and Flames in 2022 cool off that rivalry? Because I remember, it's not too long ago that the Battle of Alberta yeah. had yeah. supplanted all of the rivalries you know as being the best one in the league. Yeah, because they were at that point they were both good, and then yeah, the rivalry got extinguished because the Flames got extinguished, and they <laughs> languished. Like you, it was funny. Ward I was talking. I, I, no, hang on. <laughs> Sorry, I know it's so obvious. Like, look, the, the Oilers got drained, okay, so and the Flames it. got extinguished. <laughs> said Jeff Merrick. The lemons got <laughs> lemons got squeezed. Um, so it was, I was having a conversation with uh, with Sam Rosen yesterday about the Rangers before they played the Detroit Red Wings. And the point that I was making, I know the New Jersey Devils have been scotched by injuries. I get it to the top two centers. But I was saying, like, you know, we would have thought that at the beginning of this season, considering how emotional that seven-game series was between the Rangers and the Devils, that we'd see, you know, the Devils up around the top of the Metropolitan Division. This would be the big gust of wind that they needed. And the New York Rangers would come out stumbling after an emotional loss, but quite the opposite has happened. That whole question is fueled by what happened in the Battle of Alberta. Mm -hmm. Because Calgary just, like, they just fell apart. Yeah, There's a number of reasons, a lot of them involving goaltending. But after that, Edmonton series, we all sort of looked at that and went, man, Calgary's broken. Edmonton did it to them. And it kind of, it, <laughs> then the rivalry, at least temporarily, died along with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, best rivalry in the league right now, what is it? It's going to sound stupid, but as far as like old school toughness, Anaheim and Arizona. What? What? Anaheim wow. and Arizona games. That- yeah, that was an off the board yeah. pick if I've ever heard one. Wow, tell me more. Sorry, it's true. It's true. Well, I mean, all of this started with—I mean, it didn't start with, but it really crescendoed with Arizona going at Zegras a couple of years ago. As you know, as as soon as Anaheim let go of their tough guys, all of a sudden Arizona, who are still tough, thank you very much, uh, started going at Zegras and and everybody else uh, uh, early and often in games. And you know how did how did Pat Verbeek respond in the off season on the even the off season on waivers this year to start the season claimed Ross Johnston and what's the first mm-hmm. thing Ross Johnston went did went right at uh, at Liam O'Brien, 
Wow. And said, we're doing this. All right. And ever, like, honestly, ever, like, for the last couple of years, like, that, once upon a time, Anaheim, LA, when they were both really good, those games were must-watch because it was high skill and they hated each other. And they tried to kill each other every time they played against each other. Mm. And, you know, then Arizona started, uh, Anaheim started to take the step back. And so did the Los Angeles Kings when they went through their five-minute rebuild. Um, but now, <laughs> as far as, like, toughness goes and, like, hatred goes, it's, it's Arizona and Anaheim. Wow. Like, you want to talk about two teams that, like, that hate each other? Like, hate each other bad in every game. you got to watch it. And now, especially with Ross Johnson, like, the big boy in the mix, telling you, dude, Anaheim and Arizona, that's that's the mix to watch. I love it. What about I you? I love it. No, I think that's a great answer, and it was off my radar. So I appreciate you putting it back on. Like, I mean, I, I think you're right. Oh, it's I think good. Most of the good. Most of the rivalries we have today are, are more competitive. Like, Devils-Rangers is a rivalry, and it's always going to be a rivalry, especially with the, the proximity of the fan bases. But, I mean... There's a certain amount of nastiness inherent there, but it's not it's not reached the, the uh, grandiose heights of like the Sean Avery years, let's say. Um, so that's yeah. good. I mean, anytime that anytime it's Penguins Caps, it, it gets it gets interesting. But that's certainly a different rivalry now than it was years ago. Uh, I want like I, I I waved at this earlier. Like I want Kings Knights to be a thing again. Like it was a thing when the Knights first popped in. Then the Knights kind of like had the Sharks yep. as their main rival for a while. Like Kings and Knights Oof. just seems well. First of all, yeah. from a pure, purely nickname standpoint, a perfect match of of uh, of, of two uh, mm. two archetypes. But the, those two teams just sure. seem primed to just slug it out in the Pacific. They're both teams that can bring it. Really talented. Uh, they've got characters on those on both those teams, man. Like that's just the rivalry that I think is is right there for the taking. We just got to find a way to light the fuse on that one. Get them in the playoffs and have someone do something dumb. There's there's your recipe. Yeah. Playoffs, yeah. turn up the temperature, and some one person needs to do something dumb. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to put a man on the moon. That's yeah, a real Jamie Ben moment. Pretty pretty <laughs> standard fare. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah, just do something ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I was mentioning off the top of the show today. And Maddie and I were throwing this around a little bit. Um, the origins of the general manager wins in the NHL. Now, Doug Armstrong, GM of the St. Louis Blues, is going for a win number 780 tonight. Well, I shouldn't say that. The St. Louis Blues are playing the Buffalo Sabres. And if St. Louis wins, that's the 780th career win for Doug Armstrong. Mm-hmm. This was a phenomenon that was not created by the Nashville Predators, but popularized by them. The phenomenon <laughs> yeah. was created by Jason Ferris when he's researching that great GM book, Behind the Moves, that he wrote, which, as someone pointed out to me, is like $1,000 online now because <laughs> it's long out of print and it's so fantastic. Um, well, but did you ever you in your life, like in your in your life, I, I, I had two and I gave one away, so I only have one. You have a copy. You gave away $1,000 sure. to somebody. <laughs> I didn't know it was that much, Wish. Honestly, I did not know. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> look, look, I'm not smart, okay? There's a reason I'm doing a show in my basement every day, all right? I made a lot of bad choices along the way. Um, but did you ever, did you ever, like a day in your life, think about GM wins until this rolled along with Nashville and David Poyle, who's no. number one? No, I didn't. And then when I started to think about him, uh, it it it, it, portray- it became into it came into sharp relief for me 
that GM wins are simply a function of survival. It just means you are mm -hmm. able to stay in your job that long to do it. Coaching wins are different. I feel like coaching it's more hands-on. Uh, there is a certain survival aspect there for sure. But inherently, general managers' jobs are safer than those of coaches because general managers can fire coaches. Coaches cannot fire general managers, although coaches can get general managers fired. Let's be clear. When you talk about mm -hmm. wins for a GM, though, that's essentially survival. That's essentially you being able to build a team that is just good enough to make the playoffs, to succeed, to be in contention. Maybe one year you pop and play for a cup or, God forbid, even win a cup. But you do mm -hmm. enough to keep yourself employed. And you do enough to keep yourself employed as a general manager. You don't get kicked upstairs to be president. You don't, uh, you know, get fired. You're just there as a GM. And so that to me is the most inherent thing about any GM wins total chatter is congratulations. You did enough not to get fired. Hmm. Well, you look at some of the top ones. I mean, David Poyle never won the Stanley Cup. Got there with Washington. Got there with Nashville. Mm -hmm. uh, Lou Lamarillo is number two. That bio has been well told. Uh, number three is Glenn Sather. That bio is well told. Harry Sinden, who's the only one in this mix who did it with one team. Like, I, I look at Harry Sinden and say that might be the most impressive of all of them. 1,170 wins, all with Boston. Like, everybody else is split. It's minimum two, most three or four. Right? Like Bobby Clark's yeah. split around three. Cat Francis is three. Jack Adams is three. Rutherford is four. Fletcher is four. Holland is, well, Holland is two. Sather is two. Harry Sinden just one. The, the, fun thing about Lou, the fun thing about Lou is that he had so much success and had garnered so much respect that he survived a handful of ownership changes there until he finally couldn't anymore. Uh, and also the Devils yep. kind of lost the thread as a contender. But like he, it was one of those deals where, you know, new owners, owners would come in and he was the constant because it's kind of like, well, we're buying a team and this is the general manager and here he is. We've got him. Okay. The most well-respected okay. guy in the league. The guy who let up, built three cup winners. Like he's not going anywhere. Okay. I have an answer for you. This is my theory about that. About Why Lou? he survived all the different ownerships? Yeah. Go, 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 please. Yes, Want go to ahead. hear my theory? Yeah, please. My theory is because he never created a successor. If you look at the list of general managers, like normally general managers will create other managers that populate the league, right? You have a look. I mean, the yeah. obvious one is Ken Holland with, you know, Iserman and Nil, et cetera. Um, and and there, will, there will be more. But the list of successors for Lou Lamarillo is short. It's nobody. He well, that's, that's the fun part, is that there the was most... a successor in the works for a while. And his name was Chris Lamarillo. 
yeah. who obviously was going Funny. to wait patiently <laughs> until it was his time. He was not looking to do some sort of Shakespearean thing and, you know, shank his father in the side to take over the gig. He was not going to do that. So even, even in that aspect, Lou was playing 4D chess where he's like, yeah. I have created a successor. He is Chris Lamarillo, <laughs> and he will wait patiently in that corner until I have decided it is no longer my time to be the general manager. <laughs> uh, so you agree with my theory then? I like it. No, that's a great theory because if there's not an alternative, you, you can't, you, you're not going to get fired. That's a really good point. Like there, there has to be something that they're thinking about that's going to be better than the thing that you're doing. Now, my theory on Lou is they were just scared of him. <laughs> Quite frankly, I think there's probably an inherent fear. <laughs> like, can you imagine yeah, Jeffrey Vanderbeek be buying be the Devils and walking in and, and thinking he's going to fire Lou? And then and he's like, hey, I'm Jeff Vanderbeek. I'm the new owner of the Devils. And Lou's like, uh, please, sir, I'm in the middle of a phone call. Can you uh, sit outside the office until I am prepared to speak with you? And uh, and then there you go from there. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that but the ownership thing is also a part of this, too. Like, you know, David Poyle for a while yeah. before – eventually the, the the change happened up top there was a lot of talk in nashville about him getting fired but their ownership situation was such a mess it was like 24 people trying to make the decision that ultimately it just the people yeah. would throw their hands in the air and say well just keep them in <laughs> we can't figure this out but then in other places it's like you know the jacobs family likes their guy so he's going to stay in place as the, the the boss of the bruins and yeah. uh you know all that if if the owner if the same owner is there for a very long time and you've done well by the owner, both fiscally and success on the ice wise, then you're going to stay in that job for a while. I think we're seeing it in St. Louis now, for example. Yep. Uh, we saw it in Philadelphia with Bob Clark. Uh, on that, we got a wrap. Uh, Wish, what do you got going? Promote yourself quick before we hustle. We, uh, before the season, I made 32 bold predictions today at the quarter mark of the season. I read I them. Visit all Oof. 32. A couple have come true. A couple have not. And a few of them are looking very, very good. Please do read the article on ESPN.com. The drop today, uh, we talked Corey Perry. We talked Patrick Kane. It was a really good episode. I hope you check it out. Uh, look for NHL on ESPN wherever you get your podcasts. How are you feeling about the Lightning missed the playoffs prediction? Not as good as I did before the season. My problem is that I focused too much on the supporting <laughs> cast and didn't realize there's like five guys that if they play well, they're making the playoffs. <laughs> so that's my like problem. Five guys that are going to the Hockey Hall of Fame still on this yeah. team. Uh, I'm focused okay, on like the fourth line. And, You'd be and, good. Uh, yeah, you take care, man. <laughs> there he is. Craig Wyshynski from ESPN uh, joins me weekly here. Normally Wednesdays, pushed to Thursdays because of Fancy Man's schedule.